Welcome to my studio. I am Cole McCallum, the aspiring architect, and this is RPG Blueprints. Welcome back. This is part two of my discussion on supplementary games with Livy. If you're listening to this before part one, you should go back to the previous episode. We were just talking about how some of these experiences had affected our characters in-game, and Livy was about to discuss the supplementary game she had played with Elizabeth and her character, the Ranger Stormy. Let's rejoin that conversation now. Uh, so, so next, I thought I would talk about um, Stormy. Stormy is our cleric ranger Asimar, um, who looks more like a dragon angel than anything else right now, or angel dragon, according to according to her. Um, she played another system by Anna Landon. I'm, I have no idea if that's him. I'm saying her name right. Um, and uh, this is, and the game is called "And You Shall Shatter Temples." Um, the, the, I, I will read the brief synopsis because it's, it's a little more dense than studying, which is just about a witch doing rituals to figure out what she wants her life to be like. Um, and you shall shatter temples is a game about rising up against an overwhelming power that is trying to crush you. That's all it is. A power, an overwhelming power that is trying to crush you. Uh, it, in some overview terms, this character's struggle has basically mean she had nothing like quite literally a CRS looked into her soul and her future and said, all I see is you hunting deer for the rest of your life. You have no drive. You have no purpose. You have no goal. And then, so obviously that was a lot. <laughs> um, and then, you know, months later, quite literally just this, you know, golden God comes out of nowhere and hands her a gun or no, she already had the gun and was, you know, makes makes her shiny and like gives her a gift. I forget what the gift was at some point. And basically goes. Is that, is that when she uh, had her wings changed to being golden? Uh, that was that was when she got Gold's attention for the first time. Uh, but oh. later, he quite literally showed up at the diplomatic engagement between the no the northern and the southern dwarves, um, and was like, "Hey, you're mine." He quite very, very literally showed up and pointed to her and was like, you're mine now. And he was this golden guy and he was very charming. He was very complimentary. And she was just like, oh my God, of course. Yeah. I mean, I have no direction. I have no idea where I'm going. I'm so sure you, you seem to know what my intent is. You seem to know what I'm meant for. I'm going to take you. Uh, this gold dragon who refers to himself as, as gold justice. He's the God of justice and punishment. Um, is by every measure an overwhelming force that crushes and incinerates anything it comes across, regardless of its emotions towards the subject. That, so you're reading this and you're like, hmm, very interesting. I know exactly where to use this. Quite literally, the Stormy's one of the ones I opened and you shall shatter temples, and it was like done. <laughs> like finish. This is story system, not even questioning it. Um, uh, but yeah, so so that that's what it is. The overwhelming force was basically 
Stormy is now being left alone with this person. She's separated from her party. She has no external resources. She has no, you know, Zarius or Brynthos or, or Maz to help guide her. She's just left with gold and whatever he wants to give her. And so how is she going to contend against this overwhelming power that she is being subjected to? And at the time, gleefully complying with. You know, and so so that's what I wanted to do. And I didn't present this to to the player, uh, Elizabeth, who's also been on this podcast, uh, um, using making use of that. Yes, first episode, making use of that excellent Xanathar's system. Um, and I didn't tell her what it was. You know, I didn't say this is you contending against Gold's ego. You know, that, that's not that's not what I did. I just presented it as a story. Right. And so this is this is I'm using the supplemental system. The core purpose of the supplemental system is is contending against an overwhelming power. That means I don't have to do anything as a DM to, like, make this situation clear to her, because in 5e, like the player has to be like cooperating. The player has to be working towards a similar goal. Right. Like that's or else it's a bad game. <laughs> like and usually people don't have fun if it's genuinely contentious. But in this case, right. I didn't need to worry about that. And I didn't need to do anything. I didn't need to manipulate any systems or fudge any roles or pull any, you know, crazy situations out of thin air. I could just trust this tiny system to do it for me. I could just take the raw parts of it and trust it because that's the sole purpose of this game to tell the story in whatever way was best. You can't do that with 5e. You can't do that with a hammer. But you can do it with this, with this very specialized tool. And that's exactly what happened is, is Stormy unknowingly battled. And, and um, as stated in the game's instruction itself, is that you're going to win. That's the point of this game, is that you're going to win. And so as a DM, I don't have to worry about Stormy failing. Because if Stormy would have failed, she wouldn't have returned to the group. If Stormy would have failed, she would have become one of Gold's right hands, and you would have barely ever seen her again. So how as a DM can I incorporate a genuine adventure with real stakes where the subject can't fail? Because if she fails, she's basically going to be indoctrinated into a cult. While I find a system that has real stakes and that matters, but that guarantees that you're going to win and so the player gets to have an experience where the stakes are 100 genuine and failure is 100 an option you know you're rolling for it that you know failure can happen it can show on the dice but the system is protecting you and the system and what it was designed for is doing all the work so, so that's why I chose a system for Stormy specifically. Um, like specifically, there's a line that's like, don't worry, this system is about succeeding um, because we don't <laughs> have any interest in writing a story in which the dominant oligarchy pounds you into the sand. There's enough stories about that. That's not what this is. And so it's, I absolutely fell in love with that. Um, I modified this just like I did setting. It comes with a 52 pack of playing cards that you're supposed to draw sort of one of 
Uh, there's like four kinds of events that happen based on the four, you know, suits. Um, you're supposed to draw and, you know, the suits and see what you get. I didn't do that. I just made it a choice. <laughs> I said clubs, hearts, spades, or diamonds. Pick one. And and Elizabeth, as a player, had to pick the order in which these things happen. And based on what she picked, oh. that triggered the events in the system. And then she rolled the D12 like she was supposed to to get her outcome. So, so Interesting. similar to steading, I put a lot of power back into the player's hands. Um, you know, and it's not, it's not a uh, tricky, like hearts represents, uh, you know, what you'd imagine it to represent clubs <laughs> represents what you imagine it to represent. Um, you know, hearts is faith, support, spirit, diamonds is gear, wealth, resources. So by giving these four options, it's not like they were totally blind. She wasn't picking cards blindly off a deck. She was choosing what she wanted to happen. Now, what Elizabeth did is she never even asked, like, oh, do I have to pick a different one every time? If she'd just gone clubs, 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 I would have gone, cool. <laughs> but I said, these are your suits. And she, as a player, I, I maybe just instinctively or assumed it was a rule of one per use and chose one after the other after the other. Right? So I was able to put a lot more power back in Elizabeth's hands to control what happened while allowing the dice to decide how well it went, just like I did with Autumn and Brentos' story um, through the D12. Um, another thing I did is this all happened online, all of these sessions, and I never asked to see the dice. The dice were not rolled online. I never looked at the dice. And like to an extent, I wanted it to be known that if you needed to succeed, like if you failed your role and that could not happen, you could lie to me. And I, not only would I not check, I would not care. Right. And this is not something I explicitly said, because I feel like if you say that somebody's about to do a system, it kind of takes all the takes all the tension out of it. it. Well, it takes all the air out of it. It feels illegitimate. But, you know, from from a back end perspective, I wanted to make sure that I couldn't see people's dice that I couldn't have that, uh, I guess, like guarantee of honesty, if that makes sense, because I didn't want it. That's not what this was about. This wasn't about the raw numbers on this dice. It wasn't about any of that. It was about building this, this story here. And what the player wants to happen is, is just as important, but in D and D five E that's a lot harder to do. And, but in these smaller systems, I don't have to worry about it so much. You guys don't know what the back end rules are. All you know is what I've told you to roll the dice on. You don't know what I'm working off of. So if you're, you know, if, if that was an instinct anyone had, maybe it was, I don't believe it was, but I don't, I have no idea the story that the player wanted to be told and whether or not that was trusting the dice and letting them tell the story was told. Right. And, and that's and that was a big thing I focused on with Elizabeth is letting her like, hey, this is what gold tells you to do. This is the mission he sends you on. How do you fulfill it? How do you start fulfilling it? How you know, what is your attempt to finish it? What, what would you like to do? All right. Roll and see how that goes. Pick another suit. And and that was that was the whole one shot was pick a thing, uh, you know, pick a suit, have mission assigned to you based off of that suit. Um, you know, that's that. 
Um, and this particular one is structured in terms of like events. So there's the first approach, the first confrontation, the second confrontation, uh, the final steps, and the third confrontation. And then what happens there is the throne or confronting your deity. Those are like the two branch endings. Um, and then, of course, there's like ending the game. And I, I, I follow that template. You know, we did the events. You know, you arrive. You have your first you have your first approach, then you get your first mission, you have your first confrontation, you're next, you're next. Um, and then, you know, it wraps up. And it wraps up with you getting a message from your friends after many more months of silence than expected and returning to them, sort of having overcome all these goals and having as you shall shatter temples is, is designed to do, having to withstand an overwhelming power. And her character needed to do that. Her character needed to stand on her own two feet. And even if Elizabeth didn't see a way to do that, and I didn't see a way to make her, we didn't have to. The system did it for us because that's what the system's designed to do. And, and so, that's um... why it worked. Yeah, top to bottom, it really seems like you made like a very um, specific personal decisions for each of us. And like you said, gave the power to us. Like I didn't even think about at the time, like that you were not asking for like to see the roles. You just were like, well, what was it? Um, and and how much control like we had for these stories yeah, and, and my, my intentions with all of them was I, I described situation and then no was not in my vocabulary for any of these sessions. Yeah. Anything yeah. that was said by the player was fact and the story developed accordingly. Like if you yeah. want to do something and that involved this thing changing that you didn't know about, that thing changed. You never have to know it was different moving forward. Like, like that's what it was about. And I felt like, and I feel like the world itself is a lot more three-dimensional now than before the intermission. Like you all put so much story into the world <laughs> in in this intermission that I was able to just keep building off of. You know, a good couple points in Stormy, dimensional terror, uh, betraying the, you know, the anarchist changeling group known as the Free Folk. Um, you know, these are two things that had major in-story consequences <laughs> later. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's an interesting point. Um, just that not only is it nice for the players to sort of, you know, do something new, um, like expand their mind, like that, the kind of stuff that you're talking about, but, but for the DM, like, um, Dungeons and Dragons doesn't have um a whole lot of in-game opportunities necessarily to to have those um to have player input on on your world like you were saying. So these more narrative focused games um are a great opportunity to get input from your players and um something again that we talked about in the world building episode that when you have your players give input 
um, on the world, like those are, are going to be things that they're definitely going to latch onto. They're going to feel more involved and connected in the world. Um, and like, I just went off about how, how this one shot affected me and like, and whatnot, but, but yes, ultimately I had a lot of power in, in that. And yes, the failure happened, but, um, yeah, I think we all, all carried that through and, and that's probably one of the reasons why we did come back like with, with a whole new perspective is because we all did things that were so personal and, and, and um, and yeah, and and it was meaningful. A, a big, uh, meaningful uh, in in the context of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really liked it. Honestly, uh, Stormies was probably uh, like one of my top two. Let's say, like, like um, not only just because Elizabeth is is always incredibly devoted to portraying her character so genuinely, <laughs> and it is it is. It is incredible to watch from both uh, from both like a player and DM perspective. Um, her her commit to the to the to the stormy character so hard for so long. Um, Absolutely, it, it's done some really incredible stuff. And and in this, it was like, no, you're alone, Stormy. The one resource you have ever cared about, other people's opinions, is gone. And you know, on some level, that the one opinion you have access to right now shouldn't be yours so what are you gonna do about it and you know she did something about it stormy came away from the intermission having her you know at at the first moment you know appeared to be even further indoctrinated and and the the party you know bemoaned but what ended up happening is that laid the foundations for stormy understanding that she had the ability to solve problems herself she had the ability to come up with answers herself which she had not really had before but she was forced to and and that's that's what was so crazy to me about that transformation was that stormy came away from this both more devoted to gold and less obedient to him because she didn't have to be so much anymore and i don't think stormy by nature is obedient (laughs) Correct me if I'm wrong, Elizabeth, if you're hearing this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, But yeah, yeah. So that was stories. Those uh, you shall shatter temples. Very, very, very good. Um, Yeah, and then I think that's just one more system, and then I I think ending on sand deeps would be uh, probably the best, just in terms of thematic structuring. Um, So the next. One I did was called The Dark Below. Um, It's one of the more extensive systems. It has like a whole add-on additional section. And the description is as follows. You were exiled from the city. Whatever you were, whatever life you lived before, it has been forever cut off as the gate slammed shut behind you. Somewhere down here in the dark below, they say there is a way out. That is the premise of the dark below. It is a terrible place full of 
horrors. It is meant to be a sort of um, intensely scarce resource game. You have, you know, three matches that you can use to like do things with, but those are your only chances. Players are encouraged to both work with and against each other to survive. Um, and it, it's an incredibly complex system. And what I did with it is I put one character in the dark below and I, and the other character very naturally went and got them. And then they had to escape together. Uh, I kept this system almost identical uh, because it's so expansive. All I did was like remove the, the character cards. Like you're supposed to like write down a few facts or this and this and this, but that's character building, which was absolutely unnecessary in this case. So I just cut out all of the character building parts, uh, but pretty much everything else I kept the same. Uh, all the rooms and various parts of the dark that they described, I basically just put on like tables and made uh, uh, Reese or Saren roll <laughs> uh, to see which room would come after the next. And I just took all the rooms from there and listed them out and they just randomly generated the dark below as they went through it, um, leaving everything to the dice, you know, leaving everything to chance because that is my favorite thing to do. And they had to like navigate these horrors together. They had to rely on each other and they had to cooperate um, in a way that had nothing to do with, oh, I give you the help action or, oh, can I give, give, give him advantage on that? Or none of that existed. It was just problem, solve it, go ahead. And then once they solve the problem or at least tried to, then you roll the dice. Um, and then the actual dice tell you what happened. So the dice were determining what exactly they encountered and how good the outcome of their actions were. Um, and then they did the rest. I just described things from the module. This was the probably the system that I was least involved in, in terms of narrative telling, because it was really just horrors, horrors in the dark, horrors in the dark. They just had different like puppets on them, but they were just as horrors in the dark, <laughs> you know? Um, and they had to navigate it alone together. Um, and at both of those things at the same time. And because their goal was like escape, the, the, their goal was get out, but also there were things down there that they wanted to find. And so it was this constant balance of, do we just go for the exit? Do we try to go deeper to try to figure out, to find what we came here to find or what one of them came here to find? Um, and there were moments that I, as a DM, kind of fucked with them on a meta level. Like I made something happen or rather one of the rooms kind of implied something terrible. So like think of a situation, like I, I won't be specific because I know Saren and Reese. I think this meant a lot to them. Like I don't want to toot my own horn, but they've been very private in terms of talking about the events yes. of the dark below with anyone else. Um, it is not something they've wanted to discuss, which to me would indicate it's very precious to an extent. Like they don't, they don't want to make a, a conversation out of it. Um, yeah. And, and I just like, I just want to put a little pin in this. It just um, like, that's the reason why we're being a little cagey when we're talking about this, because like I said, some of this stuff was like a little bit secretive. It's very personal and all of the details haven't come out in game so that's why we're not discussing full details like on this podcast but i think we're discussing enough to give context that that it makes sense yeah i'm trying to only talk about things i'm very confident i've heard about people talk about at the table 
you know, and, and otherwise I'm, I'm keeping very vague because as much as like, you know, I make the world and I put you in it, like, it's not my story. Like, you know, it, it's not mine. It, it's not, I wasn't the one who it was told for and I wasn't the one it was told by. So what right do I have? <laughs> um, is kind of my opinion. Um, but yeah, so, so that was the dark below and uh, how they got through it. And there were moments in which it, in the meta, I kind of screwed with them. Um, so think of, this is not what happened, but for example, you see a, a mirror, you go, you, you smile, you wave, you see it's a mirror, and then suddenly your reflection moves in a way you don't and steps away. You see suddenly behind it a door, the one that you just came through. You look scared backs away quickly, fumbling for the door handle and grabbing the hand of your companion, you races out the door. You turn around. There's no door in the room that you're in. There doesn't seem to be a way out. So that kind of meta in which is your reflection you? Are, were you the reflection? Like here, have you somehow given yourself to whatever this perception was behind the glass? Like, like, like that in, in that sort of way, like Livy would make things happen that were just kind of weird in character, but out of character in the meta had in, in, <laughs> incredibly disturbing implications. And the, these two characters, it, like a wizard and an, an artificer warlock who's, you know, inches higher than their charisma, uh, you know, very, very intelligent characters if you present them a situation like that, that's going to disturb them. That's going to be something that they worry about. That's going to be something that they, you know, that's not so much a situation I could present to a Brynthos or a Stormy or even an Autumn, <laughs> honestly, despite the fact she's also a wizard. Like, they just wouldn't be concerned by it. But yeah, with the dark... Like, oh, that was weird. Moving on. <laughs> Bye. I punched the mirror, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, you, like, you see what I'm saying? Like, it was it was very much to them because of them as players and them as characters. I could, I could make it really fucky, for lack of a better word, and know that they would just absolutely hit the stride and just keep trying to problem solve through whatever the fuck I threw at them. Because that's just what they do. And, and, and that was really fun to get to play with their strengths in that extent, you know, like their characters didn't have any, you know, uh, big things that they were working through. They had no backstory to resolve. They had no massive wrongs to write. They just had each other and themselves. And what I tried to do with them was make them consider what that meant. What, what did it mean that the two of you were down here together. And what would it mean if you didn't? What would it mean if you had gone through alone or with someone else? And of course, all of that just in contrast to them solving these problems together and, and being apart from the group and just being a duo very suddenly and, and not having any external influence and being in this place of, of extreme danger and extreme threat where they couldn't sit down and have a conversation and have a heart to heart, which uh, both of the players, I think, struggle with in various ways. Um, and you know, not not in an insulting way. I, I feel like I can never say anything except incredibly positive. But, you know, it, it can be hard to have an emotional conversation in a character. 
can it can be hard to look into someone's eyes who's your friend and you know uh, wax poetic love to them. It, it can be very very hard to develop romance in a in a situation that is not romantic. So so how do you develop that? Well, you just deepen the relationship. What does it mean that Zarius came for you? What does it mean that he could find you, Zane? What does it mean that Zane was waiting for you, Zarius? What does it mean that who threw who in front of the knife? Like, I didn't have to ask those questions. I just had to put the situation in front of the characters and the players and know, because I, I know them as players and characters, that they would ask themselves. And maybe none of the questions I've asked here ever crossed their minds, but more relevant ones did. Ones that, you know, mattered to them and their character that maybe I don't understand. But that's, that's what I was trying to accomplish here was not, I had very little influence in this narrative. It was, it was just them overcoming stuff together and figuring out what that meant. Well, um, I think it's worth noting that <laughs> since this happened, they have shared a kiss and are now more or less together. So I think you were pretty successful in what you were going for. Thank you. Um, yeah, and it was like straight up horrifying at times. Um, I definitely played into like my horror side, um, but uh, you know, Reese is, is just as much of a horror junkie as I am and has been DMing Saren for uh, like, well, you know, half a decade now. So, yeah. so uh, I felt very comfortable, you know, and that is another benefit of these smaller modules. Like, it's really hard to run a 5e system with only some of the group. Like, you're basically just cutting someone out of an established group activity. But if you remove the aspect of it being the same system and it's a one shot that can be developed individually like it doesn't feel like oh we're being naughty and doing this thing away from the group you know um it, yeah. you know we've cut out other people in order to do this no you are this this is only for you this is only about you this only concerns you and another way to emphasize that is literally to take it out of the system that they share with others because there's no reference point. There's no common ground. There's no, oh, this is the thing I do with my friends. Because you're in a totally different system. You don't know what's going on. You have no context. So what do you have? Well, you have the other player at the table. And you have the DM who's trying to kill you in a terrible, terrible place of horrors. Maybe figure out where your best resources are. Right? And the players have to rely on each other without any of the com uh, comfort of the reliable system and without of the like awkwardness of doing something you're used to doing with a certain group of people or just with a group of people alone. I, I that, that's what I, yeah, yeah, that's what I like. Uh, I, I really liked the, the experience of running uh, the dark below. Um, it was definitely one of the longer sessions. It, it took a, uh, a good, a good amount of time to get through, but it was really rewarding and the big, like, not twist, but the big reveal, like the big, um, the big thing that kind of happened was, I think, very impactful. Uh, it was, there was a, a moment of, let's call it 
a death. It's not quite what it was, but let's call it a death. Um, the reveal of the death was a gut punch. And it was, it recontextualized everything that had happened. And I, I don't know. I really liked it. <laughs> it. It went really well. I don't know if that last part's relevant at all, but I felt it, uh, it maybe, well, you know, not my literal favorite in my head was the most successful with, for what I intended, which was to allow these systems to tell a story I otherwise could not. So I think it's cool. Um, the way you were talking about um, knowing what you know about your players and, and what you wanted from them and knowing that, um, you know, in, in these D&D sessions that they're not necessarily going to open up in a certain way, but then you put them, you isolate them and you put them in, in this sort of intimate setting in like not a romantically intimate setting, but still an intimate sort of situation. And, um, to get, um, I mean, I can only assume if not like tender, but like somewhat like honest moments, um, between between these characters so so it's very interesting to to hear how you uh approached um like deciding which which system to use for which characters yeah there's there's no decorum in the dark below um <laughs> which both i believe zarius and zay are very heavy on is presentation and decorum and the dark below does not have any tolerance for any of that because if you are polite you die <laughs> oh boy yeah another another one of those yeah. i just opened that went perfect Zane and zarius done it would have just been for zane if if zarius had gotten his own but it turned out the both of them and it worked very well so um but yeah, so, so those are the three systems I used for a total of five uh, characters and uh, four uh, intermissions. So la lastly, you wanted to talk about um, Maz and uh, her her adventure, which was just a one-shot adventure within D&D, &D, right? Uh, yes, yeah, so, so Whitsindy did not get her own system at all. Um, and, um, absolutely did, did not, uh, <laughs> uh, change anything, uh, because, because what, what was happening narratively is basically, uh, Maz's, Sandeep's character's god was sort of the, the, the climax going on here. My original plan was to be this, to be the moment that this creature even existed anymore. Ever, you know, the characters were kind of supposed to understand her as a dead god. And then, oh God, people are going crazy. She's actually here. She is, you know, uh, in her attempt to like not ascend, basically, she's clawing out like her last shreds of, of of willpower attempting to stay on the material plane and is having all these terrible divine consequences and you know what is a god if not a dragon and what if a dragon is not a god and blah 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 and it's, it's all very you know silly but it, it in the in the world it was a very big moment and of course nothing works out as i expect and one of the characters <laughs> had of course begun worshiping this god <laughs> because it was the only reasonable one uh <laughs> for for them to worship um, and I hate myself as a DM, but anyway, they were continuing the story because they were the only one that could. And I didn't want to sever that. So in like a total, in a total, you know, exact same 
thought process, but total result is everyone else's because Maz was all alone, very suddenly continuing the story and pushing forward the plot surrounded by NPCs who were also like going mad. Her sense of reality was starting to unravel. All the people around her were starting to unravel. And in all this disjointedness and this madness and this, the last thing I wanted to do was like, and you don't know what's going on in the back end. It's an entirely new system. <laughs> That's very fair. Like that, like, like Maz was thrown into such insanity and such chaos. And the stakes were so, so incredibly high that I wanted to keep it consistent. And something I, I wanted, and, and I, something I think it, it emphasized was the difference of experience Oh yeah, like most of you went off and played different systems, but not all of you. Like, like there wasn't even consistency across the group in terms that you weren't playing 5e. It was total disjointedness. And that that that's something I really wanted to push with Sandy remaining in 5e. And it also allowed me to play more heavily on tropes that Sandeep was already familiar with from the campaign. So really early in the campaign, I threw a madness demon at this group, total madness demon being around and makes you go insane. And so with Maz's memory unraveling, I was basically like, uh, you know, you think these people are plotting against you. And so she went, okay, I've got a problem. And she spent the, you know, like 50 minutes figuring out and what she was going to do. And the plan worked and she pulled it off. And I said, incredible. And as you do this and you prove your innocence and your good heartedness to everyone, you look in the confused, suspicionless faces of the people around you and realize you've just spent the last two weeks paranoid in your room. And everything's fine. And it was a moment of getting to, to like, this is going to sound mean, but getting to rip the rug out from someone. Like, yes, you did it. You Congratulations. You figured it out. You, you, you made the rules. You, you know, the rule things you have, like, plus 12 in. Of course you succeeded. Great, 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 great. Didn't matter. And, 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 and now it, I could set the stakes that way. Your character is in, going insane. The world is exactly as you remember it. All the numbers are the same. The character sheet is the same. Everything is the same. Except I, as a DM, no longer guarantee that I will present reality to you accurately. Because you are going insane. And that was the stakes I got. Because I didn't change the system. Because I kept all the comforts and all the familiarity of knowing what was going on. I was able to narratively do what mechanically I had done to everyone else, which was completely isolate them. No idea what's going on, just rolling whatever I tell them to and maybe blindly guessing if they even tried to what was going on on the back end. And that's what I was able to do to Maz, keeping her in the 5e system, was... was kind of disjoint her from the group even further as she was at the time. And that's why I kept her in 5e for oh, lots of reasons, for inconsistency, because it was continuing the plot in the way that everyone else was kind of having their own little, you know, side stories. Um, but Maz wasn't. Maz was just alone, carrying the narrative that everyone else had been carrying until like one session before. And it was hard and it was scary and it was fraught with peril. And it made Maz realize what a devotion meant. And 
I mean, I don't want to speak for, for Sandeep and, and her character motivations, but Maz entered that mission a scared friend, and she left a devoted warrior. And and I feel like that shows in, in Maz's character and and how she changes and and what she's been doing lately in terms of like driving forward, pushing forward. Like in my mind as a DM, that comes from Maz losing so much and being surrounded by other followers of bronze and traveling with them, but barely being sane and feeling Yeah. And I'm a big NPC talker. You know that, Cole. I will sit there and dialogue with you in various voices for as long as you want. As long as you are willing to keep a conversation going, I will do the silly voice. I'm fine with that. The NPCs barely spoke to Maz during that time. Wow. Only if she directly asked them a question would I would I give a out of voice, like I would just describe what they responded. Because I because because Maz would not be having calm conversations with them. And so I totally removed that from the wheelhouse as well. And so, so that's what I was able to do. Everything is different. Everything is changing. The world is, is spinning on its axis as you, you know, backwards all of a sudden. What are you going to do about it? And I was able to push the narrative to the point of like, you know, you as a character can no longer trust what I am telling you because your character is insane. Partially because she still had her character sheet regardless of of Maz's mind degrading she had her spell list and she had her saves and and she had everything else like like that was still there the character on paper was still there and then i completely divorced it from who her character was because all those tools on that character sheet couldn't help her and so that was the approach I took with Sandape. And it was an approach because, first of all, it was just narratively appropriate. Like I said, her character was continuing the story when everyone else was kind of, um, you know, forced <laughs> quite literally to, to sort of go off and do their own thing. Um, I wanted to keep it consistent to the system and, and all these reasons. But Sandeep as a person and Maz a character are two very, very different people. <laughs> They are clearly not, yes. they, they're, you know, not, no self insert. I don't think anywhere at the table, honestly, we have, we have all kinds of, uh, maybe autumn, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I'm just saying is characters not super similar to the person playing them. And like Maz had to be rebuilt. Like she had to be like her God. She had to rip the last tendons of her willpower to stay where she needed to stay. And in the end, her God ascended. Her followers found her and struggled despite her madness and got there and did it and ascended her and ascended the first dragon. And that's why I believe Maz didn't come away from it being like, holy shit, I did this really awesome thing or, oh, that was so hard. And, you know, but then I, I, I got it. It was, it was, it was serious and it was important yeah, because of how much it had taken to get there. So supplemental systems are incredible and they allowed the telling of these stories in ways that could not be told otherwise, like I said, and in ways that served so many other purposes that created such an amazing 
second half to, to the campaign or that's still going on. But sometimes leaning on the comfort of a system allows you to destroy the narrative because you well, have the foundations to, of the numbers. To continue our ongoing metaphor, sometimes yeah. a hammer is the correct tool for the job, right? Like sometimes that's what you're going to use when you want to hit the nail on the head. Like uh, we, I, I mentioned that it's a bit of a jack of all trades, but that means that it has different facets of it that it's good at and you can hone in on those specific things. So that is a good thing about D&D. If you're, if you're doing a one shot, you can focus on these mechanics in D&D to tell a specific story. So yeah, so we are talking about supplemental systems. And, and the idea was to talk about other 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 games, but you can create these these uh, different experiences as well within um, within D&D, if you know what you're doing. Yeah. And, and if there's obviously, it always comes down to like player trust, like, um, and also just like knowing the player, like there are players that if I were to start falsely presenting reality to them, that would be genuinely upsetting. They would feel that to be a breach of trust between players and DM. And it's, it would not be fun for them anymore. It would suddenly become like, it, it would become conf a conflict. But Sandeep is is very good at just accepting the narrative as it is. Recently, she willed a, a, an old god into existence out of her body from nothing. Um, just poof, just disappeared, right? And you know what Sandeep went? I named her love and started crying and hugged her. Like Sandeep is so good at, at, at um, hey, here's an absolutely left field. And she just catches it and goes, right? And, and so, so because of that, because I know that about her, I was I was able to throw some real real curveballs um, and and uh, and trust that she'd catch them, or at the very least would understand why I just pelted her in the face with a baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think I think a uh, and it was all a dream is a bit of that. Yeah, <laughs> it was all a dream. Um, never never pulled one of those yet, but you know maybe sometime soon. Um. <laughs> uh, but yeah those are all the different systems i use that's that's the intermission i'm definitely going to consider um with some you know player feedback running these running uh the epilogues sort of the individual epilogues um in these little mini systems as well because because your 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 characters will grow apart you no longer have a, a united goal. You you might always love each other like family, but you won't be fighting for such lofty and literally divine outcomes. You'll be just living your lives. And that is going to be so different in every way and also different from each other. Two of you are promised to rule nations, basically. <laughs> like, well, I mean, Brinthos will, you know, be the... Head religious figure. Exactly. Leader. There's yeah. always councils and things, but, um, you know, like, like you're going to be physically separated and I want that to be represented, but I also want it to be deeply personal. This is your life. This is, this is how it goes. Well, if, 
you're down for it, maybe we can do a little bit of recap after the epilogues and talk about how that went too. Yes, yes, I, I, I very much plan on having the epilogues and then sort of a final, the final session here, uh, here at my house, and host a host a thing and and do something all together. And I have I have some plans in terms of like, um, you know, recapping an epilogue and and this and that, um, and. I don't know, in, in my head, even though that might not be what it turns out to be, I ended my first ever campaign by going around the table and asking one by one how everybody died. How, how, do, how does your character die? How do they pass? And I, I plan on doing the same thing for this campaign. And my intention is that for all of you to have deeply personal epilogues, epilogues in crafted by tools whose only job it is, is to tell the story that you want to tell. And then I want everyone to come together and look after everything they've did and share the final moment of this character with everyone else. And that is my intent for the end of the campaign. Spoilers, Cole. Um, but that is how I imagine this campaign ending is literally what will happen around the table. And it 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 wouldn't be possible without these supplemental systems. It it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the same. Well, I look forward to crying for hours. <laughs> Um, I hope it's only a short cry and maybe even a joyous cry, uh, but but who knows? Who knows? No, I've definitely cried the most at this table, so <laughs> it's probably going to be hours. Uh, I am. I if you know, I've. I don't think I've ever noticed you crying, so you're you're real discreet about it at the very least. Oh. I mean, once we moved online, it gets a lot easier to hide it. <laughs> True. Just, just, um, yeah. But, but, um, yeah, those are, those are all of my experiences with, uh, running supplementary systems, um, and, and how I hope to utilize them in the future now that I've really, I've really seen their value. And not just in like a short term way, but in like a m months down the line, I can I can look back and really and really see how valuable that time was spent. Yeah, like like I mentioned it, like for me, it was one of the most memorable moments. And I know that um, a lot of the others referenced their time, too. So um, definitely like the value is had throughout the game, like because now it's been it's been quite some time quite some since time. we did this and uh and they still get referenced like i think we referenced something about them in the last session on monday um so yeah um it, anyone listening to this um if you run your games um like consider doing this for uh some specialized uh um like situations some specific encounters and um if you're um a player in a game maybe bring this up with your with your group um uh, about maybe running uh, uh a short little game um to either uh flesh out your characters uh, as they are uh talk about some backstory stuff or even um 
like take a snapshot of a different part of the world. Um, lots of different ways to use these uh, supplementary games. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think we talked about a lot of good stuff. So I want to thank you, Libby, for joining me. Um, really, really good conversation, I think, today. Awesome. I always love good conversations. <laughs> um, side note, do you have anything that you want to plug? Like, do you have like a Twitter uh, or a, or an Instagram? No, or no. I, I, uh, to be entirely honest, uh, this podcast will probably be the most um, of my being that I've ever put online, other than Facebook wow. photo. I'm, I'm, uh, I am very deliberately offline in terms of my identity. Uh, yeah. Uh, but so, so no, I, I do not okay, have anything. Valid. But what I, what I will say is, uh, it's itch.io has massive bundles of games uh, that support both, you know, the uh, Ukrainian people and trans youth in Texas, which are both uh, populations that really need external support just in general, uh, but especially right now, or maybe not so much the Ukrainian people in general, but right now at the very least. Um, so if you, you know, are interested in trying out these games, spend five bucks uh, USD. So, seven dollars Canadian and you know get access to a bunch of them download whatever looks cool and just read them <laughs> maybe try some of the solo ones yourself if you're interested and at the very you know very worst case scenario throw them all on a google drive and share the link with whoever you know might be interested open source that shit so that that yeah. that's my that's my plug my plug is Buy these, buy these games and uh, use them and share them with everyone you know. <laughs> That's a good plug. That's a good plug because you're right. Those are two causes right now that, that, that need some support and why not get something out of it yeah. along the way. And also if this like podcast goes out uh, in like two months and one or both of these situations are entirely irrelevant, um, I have nothing to plug other than be kind to others and... Uh, reading your name, your server's name tag is creepy, not charming. Don't do that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great note to end on. Yeah, that's so a general thanks, life advice I'd like to give out. <laughs> thank you for joining me. Um, and I'm sure we'll have you on again. Um, so thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, everyone who's listening. And um, we'll talk to you in the next one. Bye. Bye. I'm switching things up again because I wanted to mention that the bundles that Livy mentioned are not available now. But in the show notes, I'm linking two other bundles. The Humble Bundle, Stand with Ukraine Bundle, will only be available for about a day when this gets posted, if my calculations are correct. It may not be TTRPGs, but there are some other role-playing games that you can pull some inspiration from. And the more important thing is supporting crisis relief in Ukraine anyway, so that's a good way to do it. The itch.io TTRPGs for trans rights in Texas bundle will be available for about 10 days after this gets posted, so check those out while you can. As always, I'd like to thank James Roach for the awesome job on the podcast themes. You can check out what he's up to by following him on Twitter at Hamesatron. You can follow RPG Blueprints at RPGBP on Twitter. You can also email RPGBlueprints at gmail.com to share comments or ask questions, which I can respond to in an episode. 
I'd also like to thank you for listening and remember the words of the late author Joseph Chilton Pierce. To live a creative life, we must lose our fear of being wrong. <laughs>